Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. And in this video, I specifically wanted to talk about the concept of the Chinese world order. Now, of course, if you look up China in the news right now, you're going to see the Chinese American trade war that everyone's talking about. As we're seeing the headline here, Trump's trade war with China is about to get supersized. And of course, there's a lot of information about that, but there's a lot more to get into that are building up and only expanding today and becoming more worrisome. And to, and to talk about that, I want to bring on James Corbett of the Corbett Report, who really is an expert and has been talking about China. And James, one of the things that you brought up that I found very important was this idea that this planned destruction of the West is ultimately happening with the rise of the East. And from what you were, where you were speculating, it's all being done on purpose. Now, as we know, it was David Rockefeller and Henry Kissinger that pretty much opened up the Chinese, uh, to the world in the 1970s, especially to their corporate buddies for slave labor. And China has expanded and grown in many different ways. And I wanted to get your take on that expansion and what you see happening now with the destruction of the West and the rise of the East. Well, you're exactly right about uh, the way that you set this up and pointing out the the significance of the history that has brought us to this point. So if there's one thing that your uh, viewers should do today, it is type China and the New World Order into their search engine of choice. They will find the podcast that I did a couple of years ago, laying all of this out. All the documents are linked, so you can explore that to your heart's content. But the long story short is, as you point out, who was it that opened up China back in uh, the 1970s? It wasn't Nixon who went to China. It was Kissinger who went the year before. And of course, Kissinger was nothing other than the protege of David Rockefeller. It was Rockefeller uh, opening up China um, at the opportune time for the business interests, which clearly became the seed for what we're seeing today. And you can see that quite clearly again when Rong Yi Ren, who was the head of Citic, which was the big Chinese investment corporation, came to where? Chase Manhattan Bank and to meet with David Rockefeller back in 1980, where they hammered out the agreements, the international agreements that would make all of this possible, the underlying institutional and financial framework for what we're seeing right now. So that's that's the history of this. And if people want to understand the argument that's being made here, just go back to the work of Antony Sutton, who was talking about, for example, Wall Street and the rise of Bolshevism. And he was talking about the best enemies money can buy, uh, laying out in great detail a, a historian with a lot of documentary evidence how the West built up the Soviet Union and supported it and made it into what it was so that they would have an enemy to, to war against to justify everything, everything that came along with the Cold War, including the clampdown on security, uh, or the clampdown on liberty at home in the name of security. All of that was part of that staged uh, provocation, the war that was happening, the Cold War, oh, because of the Cold War, we have to justify all this military spending, we have to have this police state at home. That's exactly what's being set up for the 21st century, but this time it's going to be China as the boogeyman, and we see that in all of the historical markers of what's happened to bring us to this point, as well as everything that's going on today with uh, George Soros and Henry Kissinger and all of these people still continuing to talk about China as the engine of the New World Order, as Soros said, or they, they frame it in different ways, but they are they are very much on board with China being the model 
for the New World Order, which is particularly scary because of the things we know that China is doing to its own citizens. Yeah, and again, the United States and China have been bunting heads on the world stage and do bring a lot of intellectual quagmires, especially when it comes to topics of artificial intelligence, with there being a race between China and the United States to develop the first artificial intelligence, which many experts will say will be more devastating than the nuclear bomb. And uh, this next article here that I'm reading, um, it, it of course says that U.S. hostilities has traditional rivals, China and Russia, getting closer. And we are seeing a better economic, also militaristic and political relationship between China and Russia. But China is expanding not only with its military, with their new hypersonic missiles that they're building that allegedly the United States can't defend, but also in other parts of the world like Pakistan, where the United States has worsening relations with Pakistan. China just steps right in and establishes better uh, relations. And economically, they are a powerhouse that is financing so many different nations, especially the nation of Africa, which is rife with natural resources, which, of course, China is going after and opening up specific trade routes. And it does have to be said here, China's economic impact is vast and it is expanding at a very alarming rate, which makes a lot of people not talk about the human human rights records that they violate, but try to do business with them. And they are doing a tremendous amount of business and expanding in very, very big ways right now. Would you agree with that, James? Yeah, let me pick up on a couple of the points you made there. One of them that's very important is that the uh, the buildup on either side with regards to AI technology or the, the weaponization of space or all of these other issues that are becoming big issues for the 21st century are, again, like the Cold War style, they're always being uh, justified by recourse to the other side. So the U.S. is saying, look, China is developing all this weaponry, we have to develop more on our own side. Or Russia is saying, look, they're weaponizing space, we have to put more military-type satellites up in space. Um, so that's the way that game works. And it is a game where they play off each other. Look, they're developing AI, so we have to develop more AI. And that's how they justify it to the public anyway. But it is a big smokescreen because, as you point out, Russia and China are being driven more and more into each other's arms. And it's part of this narrative that is appealing to a lot of people in the alternative and independent media that, hey, you know, the, obviously the U.S. empire and its, uh, its associated proxies and allies is a force for evil in the world in a lot of ways with their aggression and, and, and military aggression and NATO encircling Russia and all of this kind of stuff. So, by the logic of the dialectic, well, the, the other side must be good. And so we have this, this counter-narrative. Oh, the BRICs are going to save everyone and the Eurasian uh, empire is going to rise and it's going to be better and friendlier because look, they're just trying to do it with money. China goes around throwing money at the at various states. They've got this big one belt, one road initiative. They're, they're going to send over a trillion dollars out, out of the country to developing various in infrastructure projects. But it is itself a false narrative. And I've talked about this a lot in my writings as well. Um, uh, the truth about the bricks and other things that people can, can look on my uh, homepage for more details about how this is being done. And it's literally the same people behind the World Bank and the IMF are behind the BRICS Bank. I mean, literally the same board members and things like this. But they're posing as competing players so that people will fall into that trap of saying, oh, this side is bad, so this side must be good. But it's the same thing. And that's coming into crystal clear focus with all of this Chinese investment money that they're throwing around at Pakistan and Africa and all throughout Eurasia. They're throwing money hand over fist at various places, 
But just like the World Bank IMF system, which was always designed to get the third world into debt so that they're perpetually beholden to the, the developed countries and they have to sell off their, their infrastructure and their resources at pennies on the dollar, that's exactly what China is doing now. And you see that, for example, they developed this gigantic deep sea port in Sri Lanka that the Sri Lankans can't ultimately make the payments on, so China takes the port. Uh, this is how it's going to start working um, increasingly as China's throwing this money around and everyone thinks it's money from heaven. Oh, but there's a few strings attached. So it, it meet the new world order, same as the old world order. The only difference is what uh, what face is going to be on that new world, on that world order. Whenever someone gives you money, there's always strings attached. And we know that here because we had many offers of, say, of people coming to us being like, yeah, we'll fund you. Yeah, no strings attached. But you can't talk about 9-11. You can't talk about uh, uh, either Barack Obama being bad or Donald Trump being bad. Just, you know, stay on this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. And the points that you brought up made me think of my time when I was in Africa uh, just a few months ago, and I remember talking to the locals there, and uh, there was a lot of Chinese people there, and, and talking to the local Africans, especially in Kenya, they were like, you know, colonization never went over. It's just a new face of it, and it's coming now from the east instead of the west, and the Chinese are coming in and having a very... And can I just point people, I just did a, an article on this called The Secret Battle for Africa, talking about the U.S. and its military imperialism in Africa, but also China and its economic imperialism in, in Africa, and I think most people who aren't following this have no idea how much money and construction work and, uh, and uh, Chinese themselves are flooding into Africa right now. Yeah, especially the infrastructure which some Africans are happy about and a lot of other Africans are very weary of all this new infrastructure because they're like there's going to be some strings attached here there's going to be something here that's going to screw us over later on uh, and of course a lot of them are weary of it but of course in Africa a lot of corrupt governments just sell out to the top dollar and the Chinese are coming in offering a lot of top dollars to a lot of their leaders and they're being bought out ultimately pretty much and Africa is a huge haven for national resources that haven't really been harvested in mind that are currently being harvested and mined. And I'm did you see that uh, story that came out earlier this year where uh, the Le Monde did an investigation and found that African Union headquarters, yes, there is an African Union, and uh, the African Union headquarters was gifted to the African Union by China. They basically paid for it. They brought the construction materials over from China. They, they had the construction companies build the headquarters, and the African Union said, thank you, China. This was back in 2012. Well, earlier this year, Le Monde did an investigation and found, oh yeah, in 2017, they discovered that the African Union headquarters had been bugged the whole time and all the computer systems were sending all the data over to Beijing every night at three in the morning or something. What's going on here? Oh, China bugged the, the headquarters. So, um, and, and the fallout from that story is ultimately China says, no, that's not true. And they held this joint press conference with the African Union and the African Union leaders uh, said, uh, no, uh, th this, there's nothing to this story. There was no bugs. And oh, by the way, in September, there's going to be this big conference and uh, China's going to invest another, you know, however many tens of billions in, in Africa. So we see the exact same kind of underhanded things going on with the Chinese-led whatever world order uh, that we have seen under the U.S. world order. And people who think it's going to be fundamentally different are just being delusional. Yeah, my only experience with the African Union is seeing a lot of their military personnel and military equipment down in Mogadishu, Somalia. They have a huge presence there, and they're one of the main fighting forces against Al-Shabaab and other 
groups there who want their territory inside of Somalia. But you brought up a very important point that I want to reiterate because on this, you know, YouTube channel, I criticize Russia. I criticize Vladimir Putin. I cr criticize China. I criticize all big government and authority. And I get comments in my, in my YouTube videos being like, no, man, China and Putin, they're fighting the New World Order. What are you doing? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Hold on. Now. I'm like, I'm like staring at them like a confused dog trying to understand, trying to explain them how to play poker. And I'm like, this, this doesn't make sense. Centralization, power and control always needs to be contested. This whole kind of New World Order aspect, I believe do. And I believe one of the arguments that does lay credibility to this is, of course, the larger kind of bigger economic ties that bind the United States and China together because if one of them falls, the other falls too. But from your expertise, what other kind of bonds and what kind of other evidence um, would you suggest other than just the more kind of plausible one? It's plausible that they're working together towards a new world order and using each other as the enemies. But is there any other uh, kind of evidence that you would point to uh, that would make this case more of a reality? Uh, yes. So if, as I mentioned, look up phony opposition, the truth about the BRICS, where I talk about Paolo Batista, who happens to be the BRICS bank vice president and the IMF's executive director. So the BRICS bank is not uh, uh, fighting against the IMF. It's it's really just a, a cousin uh, or a, a brethren of it. Uh, you can look at things like the Eurasian Economic Union, which hasn't gotten a whole lot of press because it hasn't amounted to much yet, but it is a monetary union that is looking towards creating a more regional type of governmental system. Russia is at the uh, the helm of that one, and they specifically and consciously modeled it on the European Union, and they have the uh, the Economic Commission and everything. They modeled the same, the exact same thing. They want to create an EU, uh, again, a cousin or brother or sister institution. Um, you can look at things like uh, the SWIFT alternatives. People who don't know the SWIFT network is this banking network. Uh, it's a financial telecommunication network that facilitates banks uh, trading and, and transacting across borders. If you want to be a bank that can interact with the world, you need to be on the SWIFT network. And Iran found that out the hard way back in 2012 because SWIFT is a completely neutral, non-political entity, but the U.S. put pressure on the EU, which put pressure on SWIFT to delist a bunch of Iranian banks because they wanted to sanction them. Well, guess what? The sanctions are going back in uh, in November, I believe. So SWIFT is going to delist a bunch of Iranian banks yet again. Uh, again, meet this new boss, Trump, same as the old boss, Obama. It's the same thing, different face. Um, but the point is, China saw this back in 2012 and they said, well, hey, we need a swift alternative. So they created CIPS, which is the Chinese version of of SWIFT, basically meant to facilitate cross-border yuan transactions uh, for the uh, international, increasingly international financial network that China is constructing. And so they, they, again, this was pumped as, hey, they're creating an alternative. This is going to be, you know, different. They're, they're creating something different. Uh, but little noticed, shortly after they created the CIPS alternative to SWIFT, they signed a memorandum of understanding with the SWIFT network so that all CIPS transactions are carried on the SWIFT network. They use the SWIFT network for their alternative to the SWIFT net network. Time after time after time, when you drill down to the actual details of these counter-institutions, the BRICS Bank, the SWIFT network, the Eurasian Economic Union, they are either explicitly modeled on or actually share board members with the same people who are in charge of the, uh, the existing financial institutions. It's one big financial network. It's one big brotherhood of banking. And guess what? You and I aren't part of that. And we're 
never going to be the beneficiaries of that. It's just the banksters are transferring their empire headquarters from Washington to Beijing. But again, the, the, I mean, nationality means nothing to them. These are not people who operate within the nation state system. So they don't care where the where the, the, the center of power is coming from. It's their power and they're wielding it. Yeah, th- there's a reason they're called globalists, uh, because they don't see themselves aligned with any specific countries and they have no allegiance other than to uh, themselves and to their profit motives and to enrich and empower themselves, which is a very important topic that that needs to be made here. A lot of the kind of you know, oligarchs, a lot of the kind of bigger kind of controllers, they don't care whether it's a Chinese or American system. They care mainly about themselves, just like the international multinational corporations who are only out there for themselves. And they only care where they can make a buck. And of course, with the growing kind of Chinese economy, they see a huge opportunity, just like not only the big banksters, but also uh, tech companies like we saw Google. That is cooperating and working with China right now on setting up a potential uh, search engine with all of the sensors that the Chinese government is demanding from them. And, and this kind of brings me to two worries. One is just the civil rights aspect and the human rights aspect of all of this, because obviously China has implemented an all-seeing credit score system that punishes people, especially journalists who criticize their system. And they're also interning Muslims. They have absolutely no care for human rights, um, which is which is a major, major concern, which, of course, big companies like Google have proven doesn't really matter for them. Other countries, they don't matter because they're getting a lot of the money. But the second concern, and, I'm, and I wanted to talk to you about this and get your, your aspect of this, because a lot of other people on the other side of this argument are saying that with China becoming the new emerging power, that usually historically when there's a challenging power to the pre-existing order power, the United States, the West, that there is always a conflict, that there is always a war. Do you think that is possible or do you think the systems are too intertwined to, for that possibility to even happen between the possibility of a war between China and the United States? Well, you're in luck because I gave an entire hour-long presentation about that in Denmark last year that people can watch. It's called Echoes of World War One: China, the U.S. and the Next Great War, where I talk about that. The, the, it's called the Thucydides Trap, and it's basically this idea, as you say, at almost every time, not every time, but almost every time throughout history that we can document when there's a, an established power and there's a rising power up, rising up to meet it, there is a war. And so it does seem that we're there's a lot of eerie parallels to the World War I period that are going on right now. And I talked about that in my presentation. But I would also make the point that whatever, I mean, if World War III eventuates, it will not look anything like World War One or World War Two. It may not even be something that we understand as warfare in any traditional sense. It will take different forms. But the bigger picture of that, as always, as I say, is just as it was the banksters manipulating World War One and World War Two and funding both sides and, and positioning everything again, as Anthony Sutton detailed in great detail in his work, it, it's the same thing here. And the ultimate winners of war are, of course, not the people who pay with their, their blood uh, for the, the, the wars that are waged in, in the name of king and country or whatever excuse they give. It's the banksters who always benefit from these wars and they always position themselves to be on top and they are always funding both sides and they get to choose who wins by funding this side a little bit more than the other side. It, that's the way it has always worked throughout history and we'd be naive to think it's any different. So I don't know 
if warfare will eventuate and if it does, what it will look like. But I do know that it will be controlled like every other uh, conflict in history. And uh, you and I aren't going to benefit from that. So choosing teams in a fake game is not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to do anything other than maybe make you feel good if your team wins. But what does that mean if you end up uh, serving in the police state? So I hope people do take some serious consideration of the points you've raised about the growing uh, or Orwellian isn't even a good enough word anymore. We need something beyond that to describe what's happening in China right now with the, uh, the CCTV camera networks being tied into the facial re- recognition networks so that they're going to be able to identify any citizen within microseconds. At least that's what they're bragging at this point. And that, that'll all be tied into this, uh, as you say, the social credit score, which is keeping track of how good a citizen you are. And you will lose points if you criticize the government or go against what they want you to do. You will gain points if uh, if you are a good citizen and you post great things about the Chinese Communist Party on Weibo or whatever social network uh, they, they allow into existence there. And uh, that's chilling for reasons that should be obvious, but it should be pointed out people are already being denied air travel or travel on buses or trains because they don't have a good enough credit score. That's already happening in China. And as you say, we have the problem with the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, where there's all sorts of uh, draconian restrictions and even internment camps of some sort or other that are being put in. And uh, this is a great example of the, the the kind of games that people play in the alt media. Oh, they're bad, so they must be good, so this must be an okay thing. Uh, you look at a, even a, a great website like moonofalabama.org does great work on these types of issues, but uh, recently had an article up, The Strategic Aspect of Bashing China's Re-Education of Uyghurs, which in the end starts to read like an apologia of China and what they're doing. It's like, well, those Uyghurs were rioting, so they deserve to be put in camps. And and look, the U.S. is uh, saying the same things about uh, the scary Muslim boogeymen, so it's all right when China does it. It starts to get into that territory where it's like, it's okay because, because it's uh, opposed to the U.S. And uh, I think we shouldn't fall into that trap. That is a trap that's been carefully laid for us to fall into. James Corbett of the Corbett Report, great, amazing analysis and points. You're one of the few people that still talks about this. I mean, I think there was China uncensored that talked about just some of the points that you even you even bring up, but I don't I don't even know if they're still around uh, anymore. And and they'd never talk about the Rockefeller and the, the the underlying aspect. Yeah, yeah, the the Rockefeller and Henry Kissinger opening up of China and the media and corporate uh, kind of cooperation that has been happening that has allowed a lot of multinational corporations to rise up because of the slave labor, because of the suicide nets that freaking Apple has over there and now Google's cooperating with them and there's very there's less and less people talking about this I mean you're just one of the people that I see actually talking about this hitting the nail on the head uh, and letting people understand what's coming what they need to look out for what they need to worry and China is a huge worry one so James I want to thank you again for being brave for being able to talk about these issues uninhibited and letting the world know exactly what you think of the issue with your analysis and research I always very much appreciate it I appreciate your time. And I, of course, I appreciate everyone who allows us to have this voice. Because again, uh, you look online, there's not many voices saying and talking about these very important issues. James is one of them. Definitely check out his channel. Definitely follow him. And most importantly, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be here, continuing to still be here for the few days that we're uh, left on uh, the YouTube platform that is owned by Google that's working with China. Wish us luck. I love you guys. Thank you again so much for watching. Stay tuned for more.